0: Hello everybody. Everybody okay? Love lifted me. Isn't that fantastic? And next week you could sing that without one of these if you come here. Is that good? For 50% of you it will be fantastic. I know the other 50% of you will be thinking not. That's the tension that we need to live with, to work with and strive to being together with. No restrictions. That's what's coming, isn't it? On Monday, tomorrow. That's what our theme is for our current teaching series as well. But we've then added in brackets, no restrictions to putting our faith into practice. We're journeying through the book of James, who is writing to Christians. James knows that his readers are struggling in the midst of various trials. So he begins his letter by encouraging read his readers to count it all joy when you meet various trials. And we explored that. He's not telling his readers to pretend that what they're going through is actually fun, nor that they shouldn't be sad but rather that they and we should choose to trust in God's character and presence in the midst of all that we face. That could be grieving, the grieving process of England losing on penalties yet again in capital letters. It could have been the heartbreak at there not being a bank holiday as a result. I mean, how pathetic was that? The whole nation uh, there making a decision on what? Well, evidently football, although I like it, is for many the god of our nation, is it not? Well, there could be all sorts that's going on in our mind. It could well be, of course, a sense of the uh, anxiety that we are feeling because of the removal of all restrictions. I know for many in this church, there will be a sense of anxiety about that. And we're going to be reflecting, as we have done all the way along, what it is that the government is saying as per guidelines, and we'll be in keeping with that, and then giving you, as members of this church, the choice as to what you feel it right for you to do in terms of coming, in terms of wearing a mask, or in terms of singing, etc., etc. Mindful that we all have slightly different viewpoints, but it's important that with a bigger picture, we all make a commitment to stay on the same page. Of course, in thinking about some of those tough times that Bruce was thinking about that subject last week, it could well be that you are going through a personal tough time. I know some of you are. Tough circumstances are never the final word, even though it may well feel an eternity whilst we are going through them. God is able to use these difficult times or even dreadful circumstances to bring us to being, as James says, both mature and complete and lacking in nothing. We need to trust him to that end. A verse in Lamentations chapter 3 says these words, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Before we go any further, we're going to think about God's blessings to us, those blessings that we seek as well. And then we're going to sing another song that reminds us that we are not Alone. Following those two songs, then James
1: is going to come and read God's word to us. Good morning. Today's reading is from Luke chapter 16, verses 16 to 31. Sorry, verses 19 to 31. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus so that those who want to go from here to you cannot. Nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them, so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said. But if someone from the dead goes to them, They will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead.
0: Thank you, James. Would you all like to stand up, please? You see, for those of you that were asleep, you wouldn't have been able to do that because you would have still been sat down, wouldn't you? Okay, you can sit down now and this is your opportunity to acknowledge that you're warm by giving yourself a little bit of a flap. I don't want anybody doing an impression of Jack and starting to yawn or go one step beyond that and also then fall asleep. We've already had one person fall asleep and that was before the service started. You think I'm joking, I just not. If you've got your Bible with you, turn with me please to James chapter 1. Uh, thank you James, your namesake out there as just read to us from luke's gospel we'll come on to that passage a little bit later but here's the first few verses that we're going to be looking at in our second reading uh, today which is james chapter one beginning from verse nine it's just three verses where we read there that james says the brother or sister in humble circumstances ought to take pride in their high position But the one who is rich should take pride in their low position, because he or she will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. We know something of scorching heat, don't we? complain? We've waited seven years for scorching heat, and now it's here. Oh, it's so hot. Oh, it's so hot. Let's not complain, but be content, rather, in all things. People face different t- uh, tough times. We were thinking about that in the preceding verses. Some people, it seems, face tougher times than others, don't they? But for none of us, life is easy all the time. No one has it easy all the time. People are different in many different ways. And one of those differences is in terms of their, but also our status, perceived or otherwise. James is wanting to address this as he wants to in every subject that he looks at and he tends to hit it head on. So if you're only into gently, gently, let's be putting footy around Christianity, don't be involved in the next three months because you're not really going to enjoy James. He tells it as it is. And if that's you, then you're going to be quite excited about this. But for each of us, Whatever we're comfortable with or not, we ought to be saying, if this is your word, God, I want to know what's in it and what is applicable for me. Isn't that right? Even those bits that we'd like to get the Tipex bottle out and actually remove some of those less comfortable things. When we face tough times in life, it's tempting to look around to others and compare our trials with theirs. It's especially true when dealing with those who have much or those who have little. And that's what James is wanting to talk about. Jesus understood the power and influence of money and material possessions in our lives. 16 of the 38 parables were concerned with money or possessions. The Bible has got 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 on money or possessions. That's interesting, isn't it? Just by way of, of a backdrop to where we're going today. So, for those of us who may well feel, well, the church didn't really ought to say anything at all about money or materialism, either we don't know our Bibles or uh, we, you know, we just have maybe already got the t- Tipex bottle out and cut out those kind of, of verses. Now, before you feel a little bit uncomfortable, maybe some of you have been around a while, you'll know that we don't talk about money here very much at all as a church. I've not got a great deal of interest in our talking about money that often you would get uh, that uh, maybe elsewhere or in different other organisations of people's needs or whatever. But I want to just tell you four occasions that we would always talk about money, just so that everybody, whether you're watching and listening to this or you're here today, is aware of when you can expect us to talk about money. My goodness, you don't have to look very serious, I have to say, as I'm launching into this. This is a liberating uh, thing. We always talk about money at our church members meetings. And unless there's a pandemic, (laughs) we have two of those a year uh, we only have one last year and that was what we did as our AGM uh, online and it's right that as a charity we talk about money about this is what's coming in this is what's going out we want to be transparent and we want to be accountable that's right Secondly, we would talk about money if we are going through a book of the Bible and we're looking at that chapter by chapter, verse by verse. I have never missed anything out that we've gone through a whole book together. How could we say on one hand we're a church that believes in its entirety the word of God and when we then go through a particular book then miss some of the uncomfortable uh, bits out? Regardless of what that subject's to do with, if it's there, then we'll try to unpack it and we'll explore what that means for us. And if that's to do with money, well, then we will look at that on those occasions. A third occasion when we would talk about money is during the third of one of uh, three courses that we run here, uh, that we seek to run. And In an ideal world, we love to run each of these uh, each year. Uh, The three courses, what are they? Well, we would run an alpha course, which is for people at the start of their journey. For people then that are looking at essentials for the journey that follow an alpha course, the beginnings of looking at the Bible and prayer and church and things like that. But the third of those courses, we look at some of the values of church life and some of the bits that are important, but that we might not see covered in those first two courses. It's called Furthering the Journey. And one of those things we look at is what we believe and what we think the Bible teaches about money. And we think about that in that context. And the fourth time that we speak about money is whenever somebody's wanting to become a part of this church, wanting to know what our values are. And You can look at those online. We've got 10 and one of those is giving. So if it doesn't come up, I would tend to say, well, if you'd like to give, this is how you seek to do that. And the Meeches are in control of how that works in terms of detail and bank accounts and stuff like that. That's it. The only caveat I would add to that is in the last 10 years, we've had two gift days, haven't we, that we thought we would do because we believe God leads us to that to end up with where we are now. But that's about it. So I want to encourage you here. Having talked all of that about money, today's message is not about money yay! But I just thought i kind of wet your appetite so that you knew where we were coming from in that uh, regard. Social research findings from George Barner say this, 50% of Christians consider money to be the primary indicator of our own success. 19% Of Christians believe you can tell how successful a person is by seeing what they own. That's interesting, isn't it, as some statistics. Is that what determines our significance? Is that what determines our own status, our actual identity, who we are? I think that's worthwhile pausing whilst we think about that. Individually. Sometimes we've got to be quite honest with ourselves about that, haven't we? So, what is James referring to in these uh, few verses here? First thing is this that there's an encouragement for ourselves to see people as well as possessions through God's eyes. That implies having the attitude of Jesus. The standard view in James's day was that spiritual standing was indicated by material standing. In other words, the poor were ignored and deemed as being punished by God and deserving of nothing. But the wealthy were blessed by God and should be shown favour as a result So what you had affected the way that people treat you. Now, some people today would also say that is still the case. Let me just chuck this into a topical example. About two years ago, uh, I was invited, maybe two and a half years ago, invited by the Painbury Residents Association to come into their, one of their meetings, and they gave me a a platform to share about uh, our new church, our new building, uh, rather, our new building here on Painbury. And that was a great opportunity, and I had the opportunity then to answer questions and stuff like that as well. But obviously I sat in on the rest of their, of their meeting. And there was quite a um, a passionate discussion, let's say, in the 100 people present. Now, correct me uh, if I get this wrong. What's the percentage of social housing on Poundbury? Is it about 30%? Is that right? About 30% social housing. And somebody was banging the drum saying, if we are wanting us to be seen as one whole community, can I ask the meeting present how many are here from a social housing background as a part of the 100 people present? Any ideas? Want to hazard a guess at that particular meeting? Zero. Zero. Absolutely zero. Now, we can talk about the reasons for that, and people from social housing may well not want to be a part of such a meeting and all of that sort of stuff. But the fact is, on facts alone, this is an individual where we are based right now, of the tension that there is. Even in Painbury. Before we even moved here, I had businesses on Painbury talking about, where well, you are aware you're coming in to a community where there are two halves. There's the half that we like to talk about ourselves, and there's then the other half that don't tend to get much of an airplay. Now, that's just what I was told by local businesses and local residents. So before we think this is nothing to do with us, it is totally to do with us and how we might understand this in the context of where we are at. Chris mentioned about uh, the, the, the guy, the, the, one of the black guys who missed a penalty, and the uh, hideous um, abuse that he's been on the receiving end of as a result of that, being treated in a completely different way simply by the colour of his skin. I mean, that makes you sick to the stomach, don't you? That this is our fellow countrymen uh, being like this. Salvation calls for a radically different view of people. We ought to become mindful that we are all made in the image of God. And our status before God has nothing to do, not just with the colour of our skin, but what we own and what we have or what we don't own and what we don't have. And of course, we've got a great opportunity here to demonstrate that when anybody comes in that may well look a little bit different to us in a class scale, social scale, or any other scale. Because we would want to say, all are welcome. We ought to say equally, didn't we? That we might treat one another in the same way. While someone poor is not kept from the treasures of heaven by their poverty, someone rich... Cannot gain the treasures of heaven by their wealth. Now we might think, yeah, that's pretty obvious. It was not for the people that James was speaking to, and that's what we first need to understand. They would have had to wash their ears out and say, "Come by me, could you? Could you say that again? No, could you say that again? Because I thought you said yes, I did." A radical topsy turviness of what they had previously understood. What matters is our receiving God's grace and then showing that same grace to every other person, rich or poor. So that's setting the scene. Then we come on to that verse there that's, uh, that's uh, spoken about to people who are poor. And I would say, don't despise your poverty. The poor look at those who are rich and maybe can envy them. But James tells us that such a brother or sister should take pride in their high position. Someday that Christian will be with God, perfect and complete, not lacking anything. So they must look forward rather to the future which implies to not get so hung up or stressed about the present, but rather in what God will yet do. And in the present, of course, such people groups haven't got that, uh, didn't ought to have that temptation to focus on the distraction that wealth or money can bring. Or what shall we buy? What shall we have? And a lot of people that have got more tend to do their thinking with their eyes. I ought to have this, ought to have that, ought to buy this, buy that. I wonder how many of us can look around our homes and think, why did we ever get that? Why did we ever get that? So, while well, some, yeah, let me find my place. Sorry about that. Remember, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus then speaks to his disciples and he says to them, You are the light of the world, you are the salt of the earth. You can imagine them saying, eh, us? It's put so emph- emphatically as if Jesus said, Yes you this group of deeply flawed people had no qualifications they hadn't proved themselves at that time they hadn't preached any sermons yet he says to them you as you are are the salt of the earth that was their high precision as jesus had said to them in similar fashion paul affirmed that god chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise he chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong 1 corinthians 127 it seems upside down to us but that upside down way of thinking is what we see in scripture time and time again the first shall be last the last first well we want to be first i didn't ever want to come last in a race at school did you god's ways are not our ways we read in isaiah so don't despise your poverty if that's you but secondly let's heed the warnings of wealth james then turns to the comfortable person materially spends a little bit longer talking to them although not saying loads why boast in their low position because what they have can carry such a weight in this life that it will pass away just like a flower The rich appear to have no difficulties, he says, in this life. James is saying that, yes, they do have trials, that they are related very often to the wealth and the possessions that they have. Their ongoing trials are being tempted to trust in what we have and believe, as if there's some uh, form of insurance policy in giving us that sense of status or maybe an eternal security. Prosperity teaching, often popular in America, would support that. James doesn't, and neither do we. Not only does money not help anyone to receive what God has to offer, but it may even be a barrier towards it. James wants the rich person to be changed from pride in their possessions to a right sense of humility and recognizing their own spiritual poverty towards God. It's a challenge because we don't maybe think that way in the West, do we? Most competitions that you might see in a newspaper or a magazine or on TV have as their top prize what? Money. Money. Because those people running the competitions know that that is what most people are after a little bit more of. In actual fact, J.D. Rockefeller, the the millionaire, uh, was once asked, how much money do you think you need to become happy? His answer? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Money in itself is not bad. I'm not saying it is. The Bible warns us against the love of money, doesn't he? Doesn't he? About the root of all kinds of evils being the love of money. What James is doing here is encouraging humility in the wealthy believer. Let's assume that you are one of those more wealthy people and someone puts your house on a pedestal or envies your car or it, uh, is uh, in particular awe of something else that you own. That's okay to uh, enjoy that, to receive compliments from others and not be in denial of what's been said. But James longs to see such believers genuinely that they don't see that their own identity or their status is wrapped up with the enjoyment thereof. And that meaning more to us than it ought to. Let's acknowledge the good of what we own. But also that we ought to be open. That that could be gone tomorrow. And our trust needs to be in something else. We sing a hymn sometimes. That says as these words. When I survey the wondrous cross. On which the prince of glory died. My richest gain. I can't but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Material gifts are indeed what God has besowed, bestowed upon us, and that's great. But we're managers of those gifts, aren't we? When we die, it doesn't matter how much we had, but what we did with that which we had that influences that sense of our reward in heaven. If we're to think about what matters most, it's that our security ought to be in the person of Jesus. I like the story I read this week where there was a man who loved money more more than anything. Just before he died, he said to his wife, When I die, I want you to put all my money in the casket with me. I want to take my money to the afterlife with me. She promised that she would. At the funeral, just before the casket was closed, his wife put in one small envelope. Her friend saw what had occurred. She said, I see you chose to not put all your husband's money in there with him. After all, then, on the contrary, I wrote him a (laughs) cheque. Which I thought was quite funny. Possessions and those who possess them pass away james uses the example of wild flowers here today and then after a time of gone we can't place eternal significance on that which is temporal material wealth may make may make us feel good but it doesn't last and we certainly can't depend on it to secure our salvation and therein lies the passage that james read earlier from luke chapter 16 about the rich man whose name we don't know, interestingly, and Lazarus, the poor guy, whose name is known. And there's no comment in the text uh, at all about that, as Jesus told it, but I think that's quite poignant. Think of Lazarus's position. His home was a pavement. He was in constant pain. But what uh, what was his true possession? the true uh, pos- position of this man? Did we measure it by his possessions, his outward circumstances, his bodily afflictions, or the fact that he was loved by God, that he came to faith, that he experienced forgiveness for his sin, that he died and then went to heaven to be in God's presence? The rich man, however, in his house was a slave to his own wrongdoing, despite all of his millions. And as the passage goes on, he died and went to hell. Who knew the high position That James is speaking to. That phrase, high position, is used in the New Testament to describe the heavenly realms to which Jesus has ascended. This place of glory was Lazarus's home. Who would you have rather been? Well, probably at the time here on earth, we look at what Lazarus had and look at what the rich man had. And let me just aim it at myself. I'd probably, to be honest, rather have what what the rich guy had. But knowing the story and what the end result was going to be after the three score and ten or whatever it is, what matters is surely eternity, is it not? Somehow we have to project our minds around having an eternal perspective. Aside from our salvation, what this passage teaches us is that in terms of our status and identity, both of which clearly do matter to us, If we depend on what is temporary here today gone tomorrow for that then we're gonna become unstuck one day I want to give a personal illustration here I'm taking a bit of a risk but I wanted to take you back to when I was in my teens and I had a thick head of hair now I just want to pause for a moment because that picture there is me as a young guy because I knew there'd be a little bit of... (laughs) I used to have hair. I don't know why it's a surprise uh, to have been of an age where I had hair. There we go. I used to uh, attempt to play the drums back there as well. And all that was my real hair. That wasn't a wig at all. Imagine, I want you to use your imagination for a moment, that I'm going for a job where having a thick head of hair age 19 was a requirement. Imagine people seeing that thick head of hair when I was walking down the street and someone shouting out, hey, that's Roger. I can recognize him and that thick head of hair anywhere. Imagine me reveling in that. My thick head of hair had given me that sense of status in my newfound job and my sense of identity in who I was as a person was wrapped up with me and my thick head of hair. So my self-worth would have been wrapped up with that as well, maybe without my even knowing it. Now those pictures that have been removed, all that you're left looking at now is this elderly man, one year older than he was last week, with a bald head. (laughs) Now, it's not that funny, is it, Chris, having having that kind of hairstyle? Where then would my status and my identity have gone? If I trusted in that, that was literally here today and gone tomorrow, you may well say. It's gone. How foolish. And something that's a a simple, trite illustration like that is so easy to understand. But if we're not careful, we miss something that's equally as obvious. And that is if our status and our identity are wrapped up with what we have, that is all going to go. All going to go. We can't take it with us. We need to ensure that we are placing our security in the person of Jesus Christ alone. Who he is and what he has done for us, for you. Let me end with one final true story. William Borden was a wealthy Christian. Growing up in Chicago, the heir of the Borden milk fortune. When he was at university, he committed himself as a Christian to reaching the Muslims of North China. Three years later, he sailed for Egypt to study Arabic before going to China. He knew that money could not mean security. So before he left, he gave away his inheritance of nearly a million dollars to various Christian mission organizations. Talk about sacrifice. Now hear this. He was in Cairo for four months when he contracted spinal meningitis and was dead within weeks. At this point, we're tempted to think, God, what? There was then under his, pi- uh, his pillow, a small piece of paper with some words on it, written in his own handwriting before he died, with these words. No reserve. No retreat. No regrets. Here was a man who has made a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ and his purposes and followed that through to the very end. Albeit, not the end he planned. And we don't know what is on our menu choice. We have stuff that happens that we would have never wanted, dreamed of, and it pains us. But let's look to what awaits. The prize that is there for all eternity Let's fix our eyes on that while we wrestle in the here and now with refusing to place our security in what we have in what we can see all around us. Let's turn to God in worship as we have an opportunity to reflect through a song that's called The Potter's Hand. And after this song, John is going to lead us in a time of prayer.
2: Just before we start, I'd just like to say thank you, Charlene. To me, that is one of the most wonderful songs that we have. It's a beautiful song. Thank you. On reflecting on our prayers, I was drawn to the book of James, chapter 2 and verse 14. What good is, is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Let us pray. Tomorrow is a significant day for us, Lord, as we move to the next phase out of lockdown. We pray for those people who are nervous, for whatever reason, about the removal of most of the restrictions. Help us, Lord, to be mindful of their concerns and respond to them. We pray for everyone who has had medical treatment postponed during this period, and pray that the health service will now be able to tackle some of this backlog. And we pray especially for those suffering from mental health issues with the need for increased support in the coming months. We thank you, Lord, that our online services have reached people who do not usually attend church, and pray that we might find new ways To reach those people and help them to develop their relationship with Jesus. We thank you for all the people that have made these services possible. We pray for our mission here in Poundbury and when we are able to open our building for people to be able to use it. Give us the vision, Lord spraw new ways of connecting with Palmbury and we look forward to restarting many of the activities previously held in our building. We pray for this coming week for the vision that we have to appoint a pastoral worker and pray for the interviews that will be taking place. We are faced with many troubled parts of our world, Lord. We're used to things happening in Yemen and Syria and Tigray. But this last week or so, Lord, we are adding to our prayers, our concerns for South Africa, Cuba and Haiti. We pray this morning for Janine, whose suffering were of the badly swollen knee, and in a moment of silence, we just offer our individual prayers to you, Lord, for those who need your comfort. We look forward, Lord, in confidence and the hope we have in you to bring our faith and deeds to our community here in Poundbury. Amen.
0: Thank you, John. Always so much to pray for, uh, isn't there? Uh, Do uh, continue to pray, as John mentioned, about the... uh, Interviews are going to be carried out on Wednesday. Um, We've had a really positive uh, response. We've been wading through applications forms uh, this week. But we do cover your prayers. Also, we'd like you to pray for uh, food share. I think it's important to mention this because Kevin's got COVID. That means that John and Liz can't leave the home. And it's only after these events occur that you realise there is no plan B for food share. There's been uh, several incredible individuals who have suddenly turned up trumps. But um, without there being a plan plan B, that's been a little bit of a challenge for us to think about. We've had 16 months to think about what happens if, not just in that area, but in other ways as well. So pray for the Meach family, obviously, but also for that entire ministry because we want to maintain the connection that we've got with families that are really in need of and appreciating uh, the gifts that we're able to pass on to. And around about 60 families a week locally, which is good. Touching on trials that God allows us to go through is what we've been thinking about maybe the last couple of weeks. It will not help us to compare ourselves to others, and it can be tempting maybe to feel sorry for ourselves when those tough times come that can then prevent us from rejoicing in what we do have in God. God can be God to all of us in the middle of whatever, right through that storm. Isn't that true? When we consider our status and our identity, which we thought about this morning, let's not think materially. Let's think spiritually. If we're a follower of Jesus, we are God's child. God's child, hang on to that preciousness. What could be better? One final verse before we have a a final song together. Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23. The Lord says, Let not the mighty man or woman glory in their might. Let not the rich man or woman glory in their riches, but let him or her that glorieth in glory in this that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. This is amazing grace. That's what we're going to sing about. God bless you all. Thank you for joining.